We're just going to jump in the text this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm chapter 61. We're, we're finishing up here in the next, uh, this week and next week on our, our series in, in Psalm. So turn to Psalm chapter 61. We're going to look at the, the first five verses, uh, in this, this text. So let me give you just a little bit of the background. Number one, we're not sure. This is the Psalm of David. We're not 100% sure when, when David wrote this Psalm. Uh, he, he was in crisis. Things were going rough. Uh, uh, he, he felt like, as you'll see in the psalm, that, that he was a long way from God and he was just about out of power, just about, about to lose all of his strength and, and hope when he cried out to God. So we're not sure what was going on. It could have been, uh, and, and if you read in, in the history, uh, of the Old Testament history of, of David's life and his reign, th- there were many times that he was in, in crisis mode. Uh, some of them happened to him with no fault of his own. Some of them were, were self-inflicted because of the things that he had done, bad decisions or bad decisions of his family members. Uh, so we're not exactly sure what, what was going on. It could have been when, when Saul was trying to get him. More than once Saul tried to pin him against the wall with a spear. So maybe, maybe it was shortly after one of those times when he ran literally for his life and was worried about Saul and his army pursuing him. It might have been a time, and, that, and a lot of people think this is the case, uh, was recorded in, in 2 Samuel 13 through 15, 16 in there, when, when his own son Absalom uh, took over the throne and was, was pursuing uh, David, his dad, trying to kill him, and David was running for his life. D- David went through many crisis moments, many times when life was tough, and it was in one of those moments, it was one of those times, it was one of those low points in his life that that he penned these words. If you've got your Bible open there, Psalm 61, starting the first verse. Hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer. Does, does that kind of sound like sometimes how, how we start out a prayer, or, or at least the, the feeling of our, hear my cry, O Lord, listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I call to you. I call as my heart grows faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. You have been my refuge, a strong tower against the foe. I long to dwell in your tent forever and to take refuge in the shelter of your wings. That's a a theme. If you read Psalms, you'll see that many times in Psalms, that terminology being used. Verse 5, For you have heard my vows, O God. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. As we look at this Psalm this morning, I I see I see a couple things in it. Uh, and, and they break out. The first two verses are, are, are one of them and, and the, the other verses are, are the second point. Here's the first thing that I see. I, I see David crying for perspective. He, he cries out for perspective. He wants to understand where he is and, and where God is. He wants to understand what's happening to him and how God can seek him. Let me read those first two verses again. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer from the ends of the earth. I call to you, I cry as my heart grows faint, faint, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. He's crying out for perspective. And the first thing he says is pretty, pretty obvious there in the text. The first thing he said is, is hear me, hear, hear my cry, Lord. And, and there's two possible, two possible mindsets that David approached God with here. I know that because David's a lot like us. Now, David certainly was a man of God, a man after God's own heart. He was a special guy, but, but David was also a sinner. I mean, David blew it big time, uh, and, and several times he blew it big time. So, so I know David was a lot like me sometimes, and there's two possible mindsets. It's, 
is from two possible places that David came to, to God here. He, he may have came to God crying for perspective with this thought, and, and it's this. God, I hope, God, I hope you hear my prayer. So, so when he, when he starts this psalm, when he pins this, hear my cry, oh God, listen to my prayer. It could have come from the standpoint of God, I don't know if you're going to hear me. I hope you're listening. God, I, I hope that you hear what I have to say. I, I know many times I've come before God with that mindset, with that, that attitude. Let me, let me illustrate that. When I was a senior in high school, Rita, this is going to be the first time I've used one of these. Uh, when I was in high school, I worked at McDonald's. She hates it when I use McDonald's illustration, but senior high school, I got my first job working at McDonald's. I'll never forget, I was making, and I thought I was in, in, in high cotton, I was making two bucks an hour. Two bucks an hour. And, and I want you to be duly impressed. Um, I, I had worked for only two weeks and I got a raise. $2.10 an hour. And man, I thought I was, man, I, I had money for the first time in my life. I cashed a check and I had money. I bought, I bought a used car for $900 and I, I, for the first time in my life, I bought myself some clothes. Well, jeans and a t-shirt, but I bought myself some clothes and, and I thought life was, was, was pretty good. And in fact, everything was going well. I loved, I loved working at McDonald's. I was working 30, sometimes 35 hours a week while I was going to school. So I was going to school full time, actually playing baseball and still working 30, 35 hours and things were great. I loved working. I, I loved meeting the new people that I was working with. I, I, I had some independence. I was growing. I, it was a great time. Everything was flourishing in my life except for one thing. My spiritual walk. The, the one thing that took a hit was my, my relationship with God. Now, now I never got to skip church. Mom and dad, well, I never even asked. That was never an option. Um, but, but I was working almost every Friday and Saturday night and Sunday night. That's when I was getting most of my hours. And, and so I would sometimes Saturday, morning or early Sunday morning, I wouldn't get home till till 12.30, 1 o'clock, sometimes a little bit later that in in the morning. And and so mom threw me a bone and said, well, you don't have to go to Sunday school. So I would drag into church dead tired and take a nap in the afternoon and then go to work that, that Sunday afternoon and started missing the youth group as well. And, and so the two things or a couple of things that really were part of my spiritual foundation being in Sunday school and really, I was in church, but I really wasn't in church. I mean, I was there, but I was half half asleep. And, and being a youth, I started missing that stuff and, and it took an effect on my spiritual walk. Now, I know we all go through that, particularly teenage years. You know, there's a time where we transition, but, but for me, it was a big deal. And, but I don't think I realized it. In fact, I know I didn't even realize that I was falling away from God, uh, until one Sunday, uh, one Saturday afternoon. I, I was working. I was back behind the counter flipping hamburgers and, uh, and, and I looked out at the counter was a guy from our church, Morris Beckett. Morris was my friend Frank's dad and a deacon in the church. His wife was my Sunday school teacher for years and youth group leader at times and prominent guy in the church. And I saw him out the counter. And, and oftentimes I saw people I knew. And, and, and when, when he, when he uh, saw me or I got eye contact with him, he motioned for me to come out there. And I walked out and said, hey, Morris, how you doing? He said, Tim. i never forget, he said, Tim. Um, you need you, you need to be praying for Robin. I said Robin, and it took a second to realize who he's talking. He said Robin Porman. Now, Robin Porman technically was my cousin, uh, 
uh, long story we don't have time for, but uh, uh, a, a step a step cousin, so so to speak. And she she'd been adopted by my my step uncle and and his wife and 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 was about eight or nine years old. I said Robin, I, and I didn't say Robin. I said Birdie because I always always called Robin Birdie. Uh, catch it, Robin says Birdie. Okay, uh, so I, I said Birdie. Well, what's going on? And and I'll never forget. He said, Well, she just got hit by a car, and she's not doing well. So I'm I'm on my way to the hospital now, and I just I just want to ask you to be in prayer for her. And and he left, and I walked back. And I'll never forget, as I walked back behind the counter, I, I was whispering a prayer to God, Lord, be with Bertie. And you know what I was thinking at that time? It's clear, clear to me today as it was then. I don't know if God's hearing me. It's the first time I realized it, it hit me, that, man, how far I got from God because I was praying. And, and I was crying out to God, but, but I really was coming from a place that, God, I hope you hear me. Working with me that day was a guy named Curtis Lott. Curtis was a, a star football player for a, the, the town where the McDonald's was in, Mount Vernon, Illinois. Star football player. Uh, all, all Big Seven con- conference, actually, it's all, all, uh, or the player of the year for the southern half of the state. Um, and, and I knew that Curtis was a believer. Uh, as a senior in high school, he was already preaching sermons and, and, and people were talking about this guy. In fact, um, I hadn't thought of his name in years. I, I Googled him and he preaches at a church in Chicago right now. And, and, and I knew where Curtis, I knew Curtis was close to God. And I'll never forget going up to Curtis and say, Curtis, will you pray for Robin? See, I, I wasn't sure if God was hearing my prayer, but boy, brother Curtis, I knew he was close to God. And I wanted someone to be praying so that the prayer would go up. So, so maybe when David says, hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer. Maybe he was coming in a place of, I hope. Now, I'll be honest, I don't think that's where it was. The rest of the psalm kind of indicates that that's probably not where he was. But, but I know when I read that, there's times that I come to God, and that's where I'm coming from. That's the place I come from. Man, God, I hope you hear my prayer. I hope you hear my prayer. More, more than likely, where he was coming from was this. I, God, I know you hear my prayer. It's, it's not a question. It's not hoping. He, he, he's coming to God with confidence that he hears, hears uh, him. It's, it's a statement of faith. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, 16 says this, Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. First John chapter 3, 21 and 22 says, Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commands and we do what pleases Him. The, the reality is we can. Now, we don't always do that. At least I don't always come to God uh, with, with from a place of, of, of confidence. But we can. I, I think David probably was coming from that place. We, we can go to Him. We can cry out to Him in our crisis moment. When, when the world's falling apart around us, we can cry out to Him, Lord, hear my prayer. And it really is a statement of God. I know that you're listening to me. Let me... Let me illustrate. Reed and I had, had been married only just a couple months. We were living back in southern Illinois where I grew up and, and, uh, uh, we were there for a couple months and decided to, uh, to go back to college. I, I wasn't sure I was going to go back, but I, after, uh, uh, working where I was working for a couple months, I decided, you know, college isn't so bad. And, and so, so I went back to Ozark and uh, the rest is history. But I, uh, as we got ready to head back, we decided 
the, probably the first of many bad choices with cars. We decided to buy a new car. Makes sense, doesn't it? You don't have a job. You're moving back to college. We didn't have any income. Let's buy a car. And uh, luckily, cars then, I, I bought a Chevrolet Chevette. Anyone have a Chevrolet Chevette? Man, they were a, they was a prize uh, car. $4,200 was a brand new 1970, when, when did we get to 79? We got here. 1979 Chevrolet Chevette. And, uh, and I can't remember what the deal was. I think when, when, when we went to get the loan, they would only give us $3,000 or something like that. But, but we had to pay, we had to give a $1,200 down. I didn't wear, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't marry my wife for money. What do you have? What kind of car do you have? A Vega. Anyone have a Vega? <laughs> Aluminum engine? A piece of garbage? Yeah, yeah. She had a Vega. I had an old, uh, really wasn't that old. I had a VW Beetle that was just falling apart. And, and so she didn't marry me for money. And, and, or I didn't marry her for money. She didn't marry me because we didn't have anything. And But we, we needed $1,200 to be able to make this deal and get this brand new car, shiny red car. And I remember calling my grandparents. Grandma and Grandpa Hartman. I said, hey, can we... Can Reed and I come over and talk to you? Can, can we come over and ask you something? And they probably knew what was coming. They, they had a, other grandkids, and uh, we were the young. Uh, I was one of the youngest, so they, they, it happened before. And, and so we showed up at their kitchen table and, and got right to it. And I said, "Read to tell them." <laughs> no, I, I think uh, we, we got there. and We said, "Hey, can can we borrow twelve hundred dollars?" Now, I'll tell you this. I I, I I was fairly confident that they were going to give us the money. I really was. But I wasn't totally sure. But there's one thing I was 100% confident of. That they're going to hear my request. I didn't worry that they were going to laugh at me. I didn't worry they're going to be like, you want money? Out the door. Don't let it hit you. I wasn't worried about it. I knew they were going to hear my request. Our, our kids can come to us and and they have many times requesting, I don't know if they've ever asked for $1,200, but, but our kids have come to us and asked, hey, can I, can I take your van and drive to Arizona when Joel was in college? Hey, can, can I borrow this? Can I do that? Can, can, can we come? And, and they don't always know that we're going to say yes, although it always seems like we do. Isn't that right, parents? But here's the one thing. They, without a doubt, know that we will hear their request. We can come before God. I, I think I, I think David came from from that mindset. Uh, Lord, Lord, you'll you'll hear me. He kind of comes from a, a standpoint also there as he's trying to gain perspective on who he is, who God is, where God is. He he, he comes with the statement, "Help me from the ends of the earth uh, of the Lord." I call it. He he comes with Lord, help me, but. But he felt pretty weak at the time. Notice what he says is, from the ends of the earth I call to you. Now, now really, he wasn't from, he wasn't calling from that far away. But for him, he felt like he was a long way. Now, now whether he'd been fleeing Absalom or whatever might have been going on, he felt like God was a long ways away and he was a long way from God and he was crying out from that point. He felt like, Lord, help me, but I'm puny. There's not much I can do. And, and I think he helped, he felt like he was powerless. I call out as my heart grows faint. Haven't you been there before? <laughs> Haven't we been there before when we cry out to God? Maybe, maybe it's one of the last resorts, but we cry out to God and we feel like we're a long way. 
and we feel like we're just about to lose our grip, we're powerless and we're puny, and we call out to the Lord. And notice this, what he says. He says, be higher than me. I, I love this phrase at the end of verse 2. He says, lead me to the rock. Lead me to the rock that's higher than me. David says, pick me up from where I am, Lord, and put me on something that's bigger than me. How do we get perspective? How do I, how do I gain perspective when I'm in a crisis moment, when, when the world's falling apart, when I, can, when I don't have the answer? How do I find perspective? Get up above. Go to the rock that's higher than me. Go to the one that's been there before. Go to the one that understands it. He, he cries for perspective, but, but he also cries for protection. Um, uh, let, let me read verses three, uh, four and five. For, for you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the foe. I long to dwell in your tent forever and take refuge in the shelter of your wings. Uh, for you have heard my vows, O God, and have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. He cries for, for protection. Verse three, we see a change in his thinking. The, the first two verses, he's crying out, Lord, give me pers- perspective. Help me understand. But in verse three, it changes to, to a whole different thing. He calls for protection because he's gaining, he's gaining the perspective that he needs. He's, he says in verse three, did you catch that? It's, it's what gives perspective. Notice what he said in verse three again, for you have been. See, that's where perspective came for David. That, that's why I believe he really came from a place of faith there. But, but when he realized that, that, that God had been there before, for you have been my refuge, it gave him perspective. In other words, when we look back and see what God done, has done, it gives us perspective. Uh, last Thursday, I was down at the hospital in Atchison. Miss Tanya was having her, uh, her foot amputated. They were able to save it. Uh, and just had to clean out some uh, garbage that was in her ankle. Uh, so go by and pat her foot. It's, it doesn't hurt at all. Uh, but time was having surgery. We were back in the waiting room before uh, uh, before she was taken back. And I don't know how we got on the conversation. We got talking about Dan. Dan talking about Dan's a kind of cool conversation. But she, she talked about a time when Dan cut his head. Uh, they, they were in the yard in a homemade swing. That might be part of the key to this story. They were in a homemade swing and... Um, and, and it broke, and when it did, one side fell down, and the post that, that was holding the, the swing was a, was a five by five big old post, and it broke. When it fell down, it hit Dan in the head. And that post broke right in half. No, no. Uh, hit Dan in the head. And, and this is where the story came from. Yeah, that time Dan got, got hit in the head and cut his head. Seventeen staples later, his head was stapled back together. So we were, we were talking about that, and then Dan made this comment. He said, yeah, the doctor said if that had been a, an inch or two higher, it would have broke my neck. Uh, Nellie, his mother-in-law, Tanya's mom, was sitting next to the bed, Tanya. You didn't know I was going to talk about you, did you? Uh, she was sitting over there, and, and, and she kind of started wagging, wagging her finger at Dan. And I thought, okay, what's coming? <laughs> and she said, God was watching out for you, wasn't he? And, and that continued on with a couple more stories where Dan said, yeah, you know, God's watched out for me several times. He told a couple times about got ran over by a semi and, and, and oh, but for a couple inches here or a couple feet there, how, how life might have been changed. But 
But really what he was saying was giving perspective. You know, when I look back, I realize, you know what, God has, has taken care of me. So, so when we cry for protection, one of the things we need to do, it's, it's what changes our, our perspective is we need to look back and see what God has done. David finds perspective when he looks back. But here's the problem, church. When we look back, or when we find ourselves in crisis, oftentimes we just see the now. Isn't that true? When we're, when we're in crisis, oftentimes we're smothered by the now, by what's going on. You're, you're sitting at the, the kitchen table and you've got the bills spread out on the table in front of you. And, and, and you hit the last stroke on the calculator and the number that comes up on the calculator is a negative number. You're like, how in the world am I ever going to handle this? And all you can see is now. You sit in your doctor's office and he steps in and says, I'm sorry. Wish I didn't have to tell you this, but it's cancer. Oh, but cancer. I, I'm too young or I, I had plans. I, man, I, I've lived healthy so I wouldn't get it and now I have cancer. Or, or maybe the sting of angry words that, that cut deep. Are, are still ringing in your ears. That, that guy that said, but words will never hurt me didn't know what he was talking about because I'm hurting. Those words from your spouse or your child or your, your friend or your coworker or your boss uh, cut to the core and took away your breath. Or maybe it's the bitter taste of the words that you've spoken that have spewed from your mouth. If, if only I could turn back time. If only I, I could go back and hesitate instead of speaking and Instead, the words that I threw out, I, I, I see the damage that they caused in my loved one or my friend. Or, or maybe we hold our head in shame. Our failures cover us like a, a dark blanket. And all we see are our disappointments. We, we see our spouse and we've disappointed him or her. And we, we see our kids and we think, man, I've disappointed them. Or we've disappointed our friends or we, we've disappointed ourselves. Or, or maybe, maybe the worst of all, we realize, man, we have disappointed God yet once again. Who, who can blame us? Who, who can blame you if in the middle of your crisis, all you can see is the now? All you can see is the discouragement and the disappointment and the hurt. And who can blame you if, if you wonder, God, where are you? Who can blame you if you even shake a fist towards heaven a couple times and say, God, I, I don't feel your presence. But in our discouragement, in our fear, in our faith crisis, that's usually when we cry out to God for perspective. God, God, be here. God, help me understand. God, give me courage. Give me perspective. And that's what David does here in verse 3. For you have been my refuge you have been my refuge see what we should do is remember proverbs 18:10 says the name of the lord is a strong tower the righteous man runs into it and is safe it, this this illustration this idea may not mean a whole lot to us this idea of a strong tower but but for david's readers it, it, it would have meant a, a great deal see the strength of a city was defined by the strength of its walls the, the bigger the walls, the taller the walls, the thicker the walls, the more massive the walls, the more secure the, the city. So if a, a city had great big walls, you were secure once you went inside 
the walls of the city. It represented security. And on top of the wall was the watchtower. The tower on top of the wall. So if the walls went way up into the air, the tower went even higher. And from there, the watchman would watch out. And, and it was both defensive as well as offensive. It was defensive because the watchman would watch. And if there was any aggression coming their way, if there was any attack, he would see it from a long distance away and gather everyone inside the city walls where there was protection. So it represented a place of refuge and a place of strength. It was also offensive, for from that tower he could direct the the attack. He could put his his spearmen and the ones with the bows and arrows in the right places to attack. So so the wall and and more importantly, that tower on top of the wall represented for them security and refuge. When you're struggling, when you're hurting, this is where you go. Now, now here's the problem, though. That that doesn't hit us quite so well. Let me let me try to illustrate it. I, I was thinking about this. How can I put it in today's terms? And you know what I got thinking about family, because because rep, uh, 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 refuge and security, oftentimes we find that in our, our our families. I mean, when you're a kid and you're scared, man, if I can only get home, if I can only get to my room, if I can only get where mom and dad are, I'm I'm safe. And then. And then another word popped in my head. I wonder if anyone uh, is familiar with this word. Uh, the, the word that popped in my head was mama bear. Uh, do we have any mama bears here? Uh, no? Come on, come on. Yeah, I, I know I know one. Yeah, we got some mama bears. Husbands, I know you're afraid to call your wife that, but, but I know there's some mama bears here. Uh, Crystal, uh, we, we talked a little bit about her. Crystal was uh, a junior in high school. She had uh, she had been with, with us at that time for about a year. She had been adopted, uh, officially a part of our family for just a few months at that time. And her junior year in high school, uh, one day we got a call and found out that she had been, uh, got in trouble at school and she got, I don't know, it was two or three days or a week or something of in-school suspension. What'd you do? Well, during, uh, during, uh, uh, or in the hallway between classes, uh, a kid, a neighbor kid, he just lived a couple houses from us. I, we'd known him, known, known his parents, uh, a kid had come up behind her, a senior, and smacked her on the bottom. Now you get kicked out of school for doing that sexual harassment. So, so he should have got kicked out. But, but when he did that, and Crystal wasn't upset about it. She turned around and said, said, Cody, next time you do that, I'm going to shoot you. Well, she didn't mean anything by it. She didn't know the gun. Uh, Cody just laughed. He wasn't offended by it. But there was a teacher who didn't particularly like Crystal, heard it. And so she told the principal, and the principal who had already lost his contract and wouldn't come back, didn't really care, and he, he thought he was going to, I'm going to show, you know, that I'm in charge. And so he gave her, uh, whatever it was, three or five days in school suspension. And we thought that wasn't really right. Cody wasn't upset. You know, that's a little, you know, she's going to get zeros on her work. That just didn't seem right. So we went with Crystal to the superintendent's office. So so Crystal and the superintendent and principal were all sitting in, in the superintendent's office around the desk, and, and we're kind of talking about the situation. And I'm I'm being, hey, I'm very respectful of our leadership and I'm being very calm. I, I'm serious here. I'm being very calm. Correct? Yep. I'm being very calm. Yep. Speaking to the mic. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, and I, I don't remember what was said, but the, the principal said something. He was a little bit of a doofus. He, uh, he said something, he said something stupid and Rita didn't really like it. And I don't remember what she said, but I do remember what she did. She grabbed Crystal and picked her up, or no, grabbed her arm and said, we're leaving. And she stormed, she went, went the door and she said something else. And, uh, and she didn't use bad language. I don't think. And, uh, she stormed out, slammed the door, 
and left in the office was the superintendent, the principal, and me. <laughs> and we're all like, hope she doesn't come back. <laughs> now, not one of her finest moments. I, I'm, I'm sure she probably wishes she could have handled a little bit differently. But let me point this out. No? Okay. I was wrong. <laughs> Crystal, who was struggling to figure out where she belonged, Crystal, who was struggling to figure out perspective. Man, that hit something with her. She's got a mama bear. And she knew that she had someone that would stand up for her. And some that would say, come on, get under my wing and I'm going to protect you. Now, we did have to tell her later, maybe maybe we could have handled that differently, Crystal. But, but boy, I, I think that was the start of Crystal beginning to believe us when we told her that we would never leave, that we would never forsake her, that she was going to be ours, when she saw that strong tower in her mother. See, for David, for David, he was, he looked back and he remembered those moments. He, he, he remembered uh, as a shepherd when the, the, the bear or the lion would come and God gave him strength. He, he remembered in the Valley of Elah when, uh, when, when Goliath was on one side and, and with just a sling and a couple stones, and God's power through his faith that, that he slayed the, the giant. He remember in all the battles that he went through. And David probably even remember those times when he struggled with his own sin and felt like God was a long ways away, but, but knew that God forgave him. That David looked back and remembered. So, so when he said, for you have been my refuge, his perspective came when he understood where he belonged. And he understood what God had done. And, and he says also, not just look back, but look, look around. Notice up. Notice what he says in verse five. I think it's kind of a cool verse. For, for you have heard my vows, O Lord, O, o God. You have given me heritage, the heritage of those who fear your name. You've given me the heritage of those who fear your name. I, I have a friend, Larry. Uh, Larry, uh, Larry met his wife in church. He was a little bit older when he met her. And, and, and they began to date. They got married. Short time later, they had their first, first child and, and things were going great. They were, they were working in the church. He, he actually ended up, uh, while working a regular full-time job, became, uh, associate pastor, part-time associate pastor at this church in Leavenworth. And, and things were going great until one day his wife came home from work and said, Larry, I don't love you anymore. And I don't even think I believe in God anymore. And she left. I mean, Larry's world got rocked and he was, I mean, he, he fell apart. I met Larry a couple years after that when he was trying to raise his, his then five or six year old daughter. And, and I bet at least twice, twice a month Larry would be in my office across the desk from me, uh, telling me his woes. Whether it's like, I don't know if I can do this or, or I'm struggling with, with, with my, my daughter's wife, my daughter's mother, my ex-wife, and she's causing these problems and, and, and a couple times, Sharon would end up live with the mom, and Larry would be in my de- at my desk, and we'd be talking about. It. And really, all he ever wanted me to do was just encourage him and to hear him and say, "Larry, it's going to be okay." When, when Sharon got in high school and and went to live with the mom again, and then made some really bad decisions that led her on a ba- to a bad place for a while, you know, Larry was at my desk, and I, I kept reminding him, "Lord, Larry, the, you know what the Lord says: if, if you bring them up the way you should go, they're not going to they're not going to part from. Them. They're, they're going to she's going to come back. Larry, you've laid the foundation for her, but." Last Sunday, we, we met Larry over in St. Joe. Uh, he, he wanted a reference so I, for a job situation, so I, I met him to hand him that. And we were talking, and, and, and then after we talked for a little while, I said, Larry, how's, how's Sharon doing? That's his daughter. 
and, and his eyes lit up and a big smile came across his face and said, she's doing great. She's back in church. She, she met a new guy that's a great guy. They got married. They've, they've had a child together. And, and, and she's a nurse. And the doctor she started working with for invited her to church, to his church, and uh, Baptist Church, and I believe Holton, Kansas. And she started attending. I said, Larry, she's come home. That heritage. David says, you've heard my vows. You've given me the heritage of those who fear my name. I, I can look back to that heritage and know I belong. It's about ten months ago. I uh, I didn't know you're gonna have family here, Ben. But I'm gonna talk good about you and Brittany. Yeah, so we got good stuff about Ben and Brittany. Yeah, no. About ten months ago, I was in Ben and Brittany's uh, living room and or kitchen, I guess, and and was talking about them coming to church and just kind of how things were going with them. And, and I'll never forget what they they said to me. Kayla was playing around in the, in the living room, and I, I think Brittany was pregnant at the time with. Uh, with Elena and uh, and as I talked to them, they said, "Well, we 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 just really feel like we need to raise our children in a godly home. We want to be godly parents." And 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 you know what they were really saying was, "We want we want to teach our kids that there is a rock that's higher than they are. We want to teach our kids that there's a strong tower." against any foe. We want to give them a heritage. David David cries out to the Lord, Oh God, listen to my prayer. As we close here this morning, I'll tell you the story of, of James Doyle. James tells this story. He said when he was five years old, they would, would, would go to Sunday night church at their at their church, and, and it was about a mile from the house, and he said they would walk. Since it was only a mile, they would walk uh, to and from church. And and and, and when they got out of church uh, uh, at night, it was dark. And so he said, oftentimes I would pretend like I was asleep so that my dad would carry me. And he said, I can never never forget that dad would put me in his arms and would carry me. And he said, I, I didn't have dad carry me just because I was a little guy and it was a tough walk. He said, that wasn't really it at all said, I, I had him carry me because my older brothers used to tell me as we passed this one dark field that there were goblins and, and monsters in that field, and I was scared. So he said, said, I would have my dad carry me. Doyle says, 50 years later, I can still hear my dad's breath as my head lay on his shoulder. I can still feel the warmth and the strength of his arms wrapped around me, keeping me safe and being a refuge. David says to cry out to the Lord, find perspective and find that protection. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, we thank you this morning that you give us a strong tower. You give us a rock that's higher than us. Lord, when we're in our crisis, it's often often hard to figure out where you are and, and lord sometimes we're fearful and sometimes we're angry and sometimes we're discouraged but you are there help us find perspective by looking back and realizing that you've been there for us before and that we have a heritage in you father if if, uh, if there's pro- people here today that are in crisis lord help them find perspective in jesus name amen
if you're here today and you need to make a decision, if you are here and maybe you're just in that crisis moment and, and the reality is all you can see is the now. I don't blame you. I've been there. I know what it's like to be surrounded by by your world falling apart. And it's tough to see outside of the now. And David was there. But he said, remember. Remember that you've been there before. You've been my refuge. You've been my strength. 